What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. It's a big day for us here at Beyond the Diamond as we celebrate our 10th episode of the show. It's been a great experience for us along the way. We've grown, both of us, and we can't wait to bring you more fun content as the journey continues on. Uh, don't forget to check out our socials at Beyond the Diapod on Twitter and at Beyond the Diamond Podcast on Instagram to stay tuned in on the latest news and updates with the show. Once again, we are your hosts, Colby Rush of Fairfield and Hunter Broadman of UConn. And today we have a real treat in store for you guys. We're being joined by my good friend, Joshua Moult, a fellow Severian alum who is currently a student at Villanova and is an expert in the field of analytics. And he's here to talk about all he's accomplished and offer some of his thoughts and have some nice baseball talk with us. So Josh, welcome aboard. Thanks for coming and let's get right into it. Yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, what's up, y'all? Um, thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm Joshua Mould. I'm a sophomore at Villanova University, a computer science and statistics double major, and uh, I'm excited to be here. He, he's what we call in the baseball world a nerd, but he's a cool nerd. So <laughs> He's the coolest nerd I know, that's for sure. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, so let's start. Um, you know, you're the founder of the Sports Analytics Club there. Uh, that's obviously been a hugely successful thing. So you want to talk a little bit about how that got started, what you guys do and some plans for the future? Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's been a long journey. So um, we initially started it up um, in January of last year, um, and we only had about three um, in-person meetings before the shutdown, and we didn't do anything online. Um, and then we picked it up in the fall. We had put uh, put together a plan. We had a couple advisors as well. Um, so we really got going and we had meetings every week in the fall. Um, with every couple of meetings, we had our advisors doing a presentation on some kind of um, analytical tool, usually something in R, um, some kind of model they built or whatever it was. And then on the off days, we would have um, debates and and uh, all kinds of discussions and um, some presentations for my members as well and that kind of thing. Um, we got an exec board put together. We got a website. We got social media. Um, we got all the good stuff. Um, but this semester, I've been really excited about, um, and we really got it off the ground. We um, started doing the um, having our advisors come in a little bit less often, so we could be a little more personal with the members of the club. Um, and we've had a couple of really big events, um, including um, an internship panel. We had actually um, a couple of weeks ago um, where we had nine people from all around the field of sports analytics um, and sports in general come in to, come in to do a little panel. Um, we had um, a guy from the Phillies. We had someone from the Royals. We had someone who did an internship with StatCast. We had a couple broadcasters, a G League coach actually, um, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of cool people there. And we had about 60 people total, um, come out to that event. Um, so it was a really fun time and we've really been rolling, had our first in-person event in about a year, um, uh, this past week. Um, and then we'll have another in-person event in a couple of weeks to watch the elite eight. Um, so a lot of, a lot of fun stuff happening and, uh, I'm really excited for what this club can do in the future. Um, we had a couple of competitions. We had teams for competitions. Um, number one, the Big Data Bowl, um, which happens every year. It's a competition run by the NFL. Um, and then we also had a team for the Syracuse Football Analytics Blitz, which was um, the first um, year that Syracuse has done that kind of competition. 
and we ended up coming in second in our room, which uh, was a great result for um, our club and uh, excited for more opportunities like that for the future. So yeah, it's been, it's been a fun ride. That's awesome. And um, I was fortunate enough to be able to sit in on your presentation for the Syracuse event. And uh, I think you guys got gypped. I think you deserve better than second, but it was a great presentation. Um, they talked about some of the tendencies of couple of the NFL teams, uh, the Titans was one of them, uh, the Steelers, and I took note for some strategies for future Madden games for those teams, but uh, you guys did an awesome <laughs> job with that, and um, also he was mentioning some of their social media. They have their own podcast, uh, which I'd like to give a shout out to. I think it's called By the Numbers, right? Correct, yeah. So everybody should go give that one a listen, uh, our fellow podcasters. After they listen to ours. Podcast respect. <laughs> What was that called? After they listen to ours, of course. <laughs> yes. Every, make everybody happy here. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I mean, what you're doing is awesome. Um, obviously, me and Hunter, as managers, we do the other side of the baseball operation. So it's a great combination to have. But I think it was cool how you talked about other sports, too, because people only focus on baseball, at least for the most part, of how, like, because it's just such an old game that, now it's going analytically that people are like freaking out and whatever. Yeah. I, it's good and bad, whatever. But I think it's cool to like see the NFL side of it because everyone thinks of that all. It's just hard, hard nosed football, people just tackling each other. But analytics play like Tom Brady having, I think it was the most success on 20 plus yard throws. You wouldn't think of that. But like when you deep dive deep into the numbers, it makes sense based on what type of offense he's in and all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, people think uh, football, like since it's only 16 games a year, there's not really much you can pull from it in terms of data, but there's actually a lot um, under there that you can um, kind of pull from it. There's a lot of um, real actionable insights where if you like dig down, get like player location data, there's um, limitless things you can do with that. Yeah, and that's the cool thing about analytics is the outreach that it gets. You know, it can be applicable to any sport, any business. You know, I'm in the business school here at UConn, so it's plenty applicable there. I know you're working an internship at Travelers this summer, um, which is a cool opportunity. And there's plenty of baseball teams that have hired people straight out of companies that you would never think had anything to do with baseball. But because they're so good at raw analytics, it can be applicable. So it's it's cool to see how many different areas it can touch. And um you know, you're going to have a big career ahead in whatever path you want to do. And obviously baseball is the road that all of us here want to go down. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, speaking of travelers, I mean, the traveler championship with golf, I mean, not just traveler championship, but golf specifically, that's another sport where I think people underestimate how much analytics play. I think that's probably, I don't know, you can probably speak on it more, but I think golf's probably benefited the most of any sport. Yeah, definitely. There's there's a lot um, of analytics in golf as well. I'm not uh, very well versed in in golf and golf language, but I do know that um, recently there was actually a statistic, a metric um, that has kind of transferred over to the baseball world a little bit. It's called smash factor um, and it originated mm -hmm. in golf. So I'm not really sure how that works in golf, but I know how it works in baseball. So yeah, no, uh, I mean, I know Smash Factor, like when we go on the simulator, uh, when I'm going to test out a club, it's how close to the center of the face you hit and uh, like relating to like center of gravity, inertia, all that stuff. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah. that makes sense with barreling the ball up. I mean, that's the definition of barrel. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a whole different application, though. It's like uh, separate from barrels. It's like basically um, like the a similar thing to what you were describing. It's just like the efficiency with which you hit some hit the ball. Um, so yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, if we want more golf talk, we might have our have our friend uh, Christian Brady. I know there's a very hang guy on down <laughs> at Clemson. Um, but Smash Factor is something that you know we might see some research out here in the future on. So speaking of that. My man here has been published on Fangraphs a few times, uh, most recently with his uh, hitting prospect projection model. Um, it's another one that it was really cool for me to be able to see how you kind of came along in that process. I believe it was February that it got posted to Fangraphs. Um, so that's that's an awesome opportunity. Um, how did how did you kind of get the idea for that one? And just want to talk a little bit about the process along the way. I know yeah, about the audience. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So it's just kind of a, a project that I kind of wanted to just accomplish to like know that I could do that kind of thing and just to show people that I could do that kind of thing, um, even though it's probably been done many times by other people, probably um, in better ways as well. Um, but I just tried to go for it and uh, thought this would be a good project to really um, get my feet off the ground and really um get into model building and that kind of thing because it's um, such a complex thing um, trying to build a model for minor league prospects because you have to take into account so many different variables um, and you also have to account for like players like skipping levels and missing data and all that kind of stuff so yeah it's a it was um, just a really interesting project and so I thought I'd get right into it. Um, yeah. No, that's, yeah. I mean, that sounds awesome. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was interesting, like thinking of how to not include some levels, like you had AAA in there for a while, and then you ended up taking that out because of, you know, that's a lot of guys will just jump right from AA or their AAA numbers might be kind of weird because they weren't there for too long. Um, but yeah, it's, it was an awesome project to read about. And, um, go check out on Fangraphs the article for more on it. Um, he has projections of the top 50 prospects uh, lead it up by Jared Kelnick of the Mariners. So um, if you want to see who's going to be good, there's your source, people. Not not Wander Franco? Uh, so Wander Franco actually didn't have a lot of data in my model because uh, he just hasn't played at the, at the levels that the model really liked a he, lot. He's, so too, that's... he's too good, as they say. <laughs> yeah exactly he just hasn't reached the level that the model would like so that's that's actually a win for us because he really hasn't played a lot but once he gets into those upper levels of the minors and double a he'll really start getting uh, better projections from our model yeah and that's really just a casualty of the covid 2020 season too you know if he had normal season he would have had more data in there absolutely yeah um, then another one you had what is a run worth that one came out about a year ago um, another fun project. Um, a little on that, if you had anything to add. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that was just me, like, uh, trying to do some money ball type stuff, um, just getting into data wrangling a little bit. Um, it, uh, it basically um, tried to quantify what, um, like, a run was worth um, in terms of money for each team in the major leagues and, like, um, how players' salaries related to that, um, how much 
teams should be spending on their players. Um, and yeah, it was just uh, a method that I was trying to come up with there um, based on the resources that I had available to me because there's not a ton of like financial data out there for in terms of team budgets and, and that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, so I was just trying to play around it there. Yeah, that's it's yeah, such a huge yeah. factor of, you know, even if you have money, you don't just have to feel you need to spend it. Um, you do it wisely. That's, you know, we've seen teams like the Mariners extending Evan White, White Sox, Luis Robert, all the multiple examples that the Rays have had um, of some smart early spending to get those like low value deals before they really break out. So I loved reading that article. Um, and once again, people go check that out because it's really good. Yeah, I was, I was reading an article the other week about like it was it was like the run what to run worth or whatever with the money and they were like i forget what sport it was but they were like they should put a graphic up in the corner of like oh it was golf uh with d uh bryson's uh putt lipping out and it like co it cost them like half a million dollars and they were like yeah we should they should put like a, in the corner of the screen because they i mean they got the fedex cup stuff just like what this putt could do, like how much he could win, how much he could lose based off the putt. I think something like with baseball, like if this guy hits a home run, what does it do with like incentives and stuff like that? Football, basketball, all the same. Yeah, true. That's very interesting. Yeah, it's nice to see that little golf crossover because Colby, you know more about golf than we do, it seems like. So I'm glad you can add some insight in that field. Um, and then the other one to mention is uh, the run value create statistic from two years ago, I think. Got like coming out every February here, but probably <laughs> more soon because you're a beast with how you work through this stuff. Um, kind of, it, you know, was another interesting research project. Lots of graphs in there on, and instructions on how you calculated statistic. Yeah, definitely. That one, that one was uh, um, the, the, st the statistics in that article weren't exactly um, correct because um, I was just starting out in the in the world of baseball analytics so I was really just trying to get some feedback on that um, didn't really know what I was doing but it's a great landmark to see like how far I've come from there um, and I was just trying to put stuff out there um, so I got some really good feedback and I and I just kept working and now I've I've gotten this far to where I can build like hitting projection models and all kinds of stuff like that so yeah that's the beauty of it I mean certainly wasn't bad by any means but um you know you grew from it something that you considered not your best work is still ended up on fan graphs for people to read it it's awesome that they could provide feedback because really that's the only way one can grow is by getting that feedback and um yeah the articles just get better and better each time so i can't wait to see what you have in the future um what do you think is like a good place to start for someone like you know someone like me that's not the most you know I know the analytics, like I can look at something and understand it, but I, I can't really code it myself. Where do you think are the good starting points? Because there's a lot of people like me out there that love baseball and can't really do this work the best themselves and look to people like you to do it for them. But um, wh wh where's like the best starting point that you think? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, if you know the statistics in baseball and you know how um, that stuff works, um, I think the best place to go with it is um, to try to learn R or Python. Those are um, two of the bigger languages in um, all kinds of analysis. Um, so that's probably the best starting place. And just to watch 
a lot of YouTube videos on that with um, baseball stats, if you can find them. Um, they're buried in there, but they're there. Uh, so that's probably the best starting place, I'd say, uh, to learn R or Python. Um, if you aren't well-versed in programming, then I'd say start with R because Python is a pretty pretty heavy programming language. Um, and then once you become proficient in one of those, um, then I would say transfer over um, because it's a lot easier to transfer over from one when you're already proficient in that, then it'll uh, lead to a lot better of an understanding of the other. Um, and then also just to look into um, learning a little bit more about statistics in relation to R and Python, um, specifically machine, machine learning models um, like linear regression, uh, multiple regression, logistic regression, random forests, XGBoost, all that kind of stuff, k-means clustering, just like the basic um, machine learning models um, you should probably get into. So at least like look into those um, and then kind of uh, you just got to jump right in and know that like it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a tough process because you're not going to know um, everything right off the bat. So it's a, it's a learning curve, but you'll get there. Yeah, it's important to keep that in perspective. Um, we both went to the Sabre Analytics Conference, which is virtual this year, as everything else is, um, last weekend, which was a cool opportunity. And they, they mentioned some similar points um, about, you know, starting is the toughest part. And I thought you gave some great insight into that. Um, I think you had said, like, Analyzing Baseball with R was a book that you had read at one point, um, and if I'm not mistaken. Yes, um, that's that a, a lot of info in it. Yeah, that's a great book to start out with because that'll teach you the basics of R specifically in relation to baseball. So I'd say um, analyzing baseball with R, the first edition and the second edition are both excellent books to start with. I will have those on my list at some point. I need to grow <laughs> my skill set a little bit. When you look at every baseball application out there, it says, you know, be proficient in R Python SQL. So you check off those boxes. So you're in good shape. But that more work actually PTSD from Severian. Did not enjoy coding. Not a fan. <laughs> well, but, it's, you know, it's a learning curve, like Jack. It is. No, but um, so I got a question. So I mean, I'm not the biggest like analytic guy. I'm more like old school, but I, I do think analytics are a big part of the game and they're important in some parts. Just I think some people use them too much. Uh the biggest example most recently was uh, Kevin Cash in the World Series. Um, you have about pulling, an hour discussion with that one. <laughs> yeah, pulling pulling Blake Snell. Um, so, like, the whole third time through the order thing is, like, how proven is that by analytics? And, like, can't you use the eye test? Like, shouldn't have Cash used the eye test in that situation? Um. Well, this was actually talked about quite a bit at the Sabre conference and Hunter can attest to that as well. Yes. Um, but yeah, so there, um, the third time through the order um, uh, issue is a real um, thing and it can be quantified um, by how uh, the pitcher performs when he hits a certain point. Um, but it's, a, it's definitely up for debate um, whether or not to use the eye test in that situation. But statistically speaking, um, that was a good move by Kevin Cash um, because that was the 
the time where Snell would um, start to decline. But, you know, it, it varies from time to time. Um, it's just we're relying on statistics in that situation um, to tell us what, what would normally happen. All right, so a follow-up to that. He put in Nick Anderson, who sucked during the World Series. What's up with that? Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that one. Um, I don't quite remember. I think, uh, did they mention that in the Sabre um, presentation they did, Hunter? Yeah, Brian Kenny went on this pretty impressive rant to kick the conference off on Thursday night about kind of like similar thought process we've had. You can go back and forth on the Snell debate all day whether or not you thought his stuff was tailing off or whatnot, you know, it's controversial. They had analytics behind it. They made the move. It is what it is. But that the biggest thing that should really be talked about that isn't being talked about is bringing Anderson in. Um, I believe it was five straight games he'd given up a run, which, you know, their metrics still projected him to do well against the Dodger hitters. But that's where I feel the eye test should have been used and you bring in a different arm. You know, even if the Dodgers had seen all the guys, maybe that would have been a better spot for Diego Castillo. Who knows? We Once again, we could talk about it all day. But it's, you know, the yin and the yang of the old school and new school fighting, just like everybody loves to talk about these days. So there's there's a place for both. I think pretty much any sensible person in baseball will tell you that. But you got to determine the right situations, when to use what. And that's something we could talk about all day. I mean, I remember texting you when I saw Anderson coming in and I was like, all right, so they're giving up. So they gave up. You know, I don't care who you have. You throw anyone else in that situation. There's, there's no shot the analytics said put him in. Well, uh, probably what it was was their models were still projecting that Anderson stuff would play well against the hitters, but it just oh. was clear that he was struggling at the time and his stuff wasn't up to that par. That's that's when you use the eye test, I think. Yeah, probably. But what happened happened, and. Uh, it's just a it's a great case study for analytics. It's it's something that we all love to talk about. I got it's unfortunate one. that it had to happen yeah. that way. About but. the MLB. Um, do you know? Do you know like what? So the Padres, I know, are projected like ninety four wins or whatever. But can you use analytics to project how well they'll gel together because they're such a new team? Um. I, I know there has been research done on team chemistry and that sort of thing. Um, I'm not sure how exactly that will come together. Um, but yeah, it's possible they could see some difficulty in the, in the um, first part of the season, at least um, in terms of that. But um, in the end, they've, they've gone through spring training together. Um, and uh, I think it, it should, they should be good to go. Um, barring any other concerns. Okay. Yeah. I feel like as long as you don't have any massively bad characters on your team, that's usually not too much of a problem. And obviously I mean, we have it. guys like the 2013 Red Sox, it elevates you even more, but that has Chano, been though. an interesting thing to study is the quantification of chemistry, because what can't we quantify in 2021? <laughs> Absolutely. I'll also add, I mean, 162 game season, anything can happen. Like the Giants were projected last in the NLS last year and they finished third behind Padres and Dodgers, two of the best teams. So, yeah, poor Rockies and Diamondbacks. It feels like they'll be stuck in purgatory forever. <laughs> poor Diamondbacks. They went all in. Yeah. Let's hope Mad Bum bounces back, gets himself a silver slugger in the last year. Of oh, season. man. I really hope so. I don't uh, like him in a Diamondbacks uniform, though. 
Yeah. I've got to feel bad for Giants fans like you. It's it's the same feeling we had seeing John Lester with the Cubs. I, oh, I didn't yeah. mind I didn't mind seeing Panda in a Red Sox uniform though, because that was funny. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, the, the, oh, we're not gonna talk about that one. <laughs> um all right, let's let's change the page a little. Let's just we all love baseball, so let's this doesn't even have to be analytically inclined, but let's just have a conversation about some of these new rule changes in the minor leagues. What do we think about some of these? We have base sizing, the defensive positioning, uh, step-off rule, electronic strike zone, and low A, um, the pitch clock, and the pickoff limits. The one that stands out to me the most is the defensive positioning. Um, You know, we can talk about the merits of it, but I just don't really feel the need to limit the strategy like that. Why why do we have to tell that four people have to be in the infield? If if they want to put everybody on the right side and do that crazy shift like the Dodgers had a few years ago. Um, go check out that picture on Twitter if anybody hasn't seen it, but I don't feel why that's necessary. It's not doing anything for pace of play. That's all that MLB seems to care about these days. What do you, what do you guys think about that one? So I will say I personally hate the shift, but I also think that like that's up to the manager, just like we said with cash making that decision, whether it came from upper management or not, it's up to the manager to decide whether or not to do the shift. I think personally, if I was a player, I'd be like, coach, the shift doesn't work. You can beat the shift easily. I mean, yeah, oftentimes they hit into the shift, but I mean, even David Ortiz could beat the shift with a bunt. That's how much they shifted him. So that's my personal opinion on it, but. Yeah. I mean, uh, for me, I think like, uh, I think even if you try to limit the shift and those things, like the analytics will just, they'll just keep on going. Teams will find other ways to adjust in the shift. There's always a way to quantify what difference that's making. So whether it's like keeping two players on each side of the infield, well, they'll just be, move their outfielders over or something like that. So the shift will always be there just in different forms, unless you glue players to the, to the diamond. So yeah. I'll also, true. I'll also add to that the hitters have are getting so much better with all the new technology, which is a big part of this, that even if it's not a ground ball that beats the shift, if you only have two outfielders out there and they put one, I mean, they, they can control their bat so much now. Like I was at practice today in BP and they, they're like, all right, hit it right there. Boom. Hit it right there. Boom. And that's college players. MLB players are even better than that. So I feel like no matter where the pitch is, even if the pitcher hits the spot, the batter can put it where they want to. Yeah, there's another side to that, though, where um, the thing is that pitchers are pitching into the shift as well. It's not just like they're going to leave uh, just a straight straight fastball on the outside corner for you to put the other way. So that's another issue there. But, yeah, you like hitters are getting better, and they'll they'll find ways to beat the shift, I'm sure. No, I'm saying even with like an inside fastball. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's possible, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what they can do. I mean, that's why you see all these pitch recommendations are the big thing now. Um, there's almost no call, no catchers anymore that call their own game because it's a lot of stuff coming from the front office. What they that's want you to throw in this pitch in this situation. Um, you know, we see the catchers with those uh, wristbands on now. Uh, some of them are just signs because you know sign stealing and all that but the pitch recommendations are huge because if the analytics are telling you to do it it's a lot better than just the catcher saying well you know this situation normally calls for a curveball so let's throw that here so everybody's gotten so much smarter just in the last 
five years, it's amazing how much it's grown. Um, we've gone from old school to new school full on just like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, so I think Buster, I know Buster Posey still calls his own game. So does Yachty, but I think the wristbands, even for the guys that don't call their own game, like, or so let's say the pitching coach isn't necessarily giving the signs, but the wristband is the signs. So they're calling their own game, but like, are they really? Cause I mean, the wristband's telling them what to do. Yeah. I'd be interested to know about like the catchers who are so good at calling their own games, like what their, um, what their strategy is going into the game. Like, do they, do they actually listen to the, um, the recommendations and that kind of thing? Like, what do they, uh, like, how does the coach handle that? Do they ask them what the catcher uh, wants in terms of um, analytics and that kind of thing? Maybe the catcher just relies on the analytics and that's why they're so good. Or maybe they're just naturally good at calling games like that and doing their own research and maybe they don't require any help. Yeah, I yeah, think I mean, also. Just, no, just about like every team now, you know, the analytics are such a big factor. So that's why you've seen so many of these coaches be hired Brian Bannister with the Red Sox was one of the pioneers of this, of just being a translator. You know, you got to take the data from the front office, put it in a simplified form the players can understand, because at the end of the day, it's up to them to carry it out. Um, so that's that's just a factor that has been important because, you know, they're the ones that need to do it. So maybe yeah. you need to make it simple for them as well. I think also, uh, I mean, some catchers probably go based off feel too, like, they know their pitchers better than anyone, including the pitching coach, for the most part, if they're the starting catcher or if, like, that's their personal catcher, like the Dodgers have, obviously. But so I'd say, like, if they're calling their own game, maybe they're, like, they know what the pitcher's throwing well that day. So even if the analytics don't say throw this pitch, but they know their pitcher can put it in a spot where it's unhittable, like Otani sinker, well, that's unhittable anyway. But um, – <laughs> Yeah, so something like that, then the catcher might just call it even if their wristband says, no, that's probably not the best pitch to call. It's a fine way to get yourself traded by bucking what the uh, department tells you to do. But, you know, if you're if you're a guy like Yadi, you have that pedigree that you can get away with it every now and then, I suppose. I'd say so. Or if you just throw guys out, then who cares? Well, let's let's stay in the little area back there of the catcher, hitter, and umpire. Talk about the electronic strike zone. This is one that I've never been crazy about. I don't I don't even know if I have a great reason for it. I just like I the traditional reason. flow of a baseball game. Of it's it's a human game. People are imperfect. Umpires make bad calls sometimes. But isn't that the beauty of it? That we can have that debate. Like, wouldn't it almost be not as fun if we didn't complain about Andrew Hernandez every night? <laughs> I was just about to say, I think Angel Hernandez unites baseball. Like, yeah, Yankees, Red Sox fans, Giants, Dodgers fans, we hate each other. Angel Hernandez makes us like each other, or <laughs> during the game, at least, because he sucks. But it's, yeah, but it's a good suck. Yeah, that's a very interesting way to put it. Um, yeah, I definitely like the idea of keeping – um, the compassionate human umpires back there, even though they're not always compassionate to uh, either the hitter or the pitcher in certain circumstances. But uh, yeah, it's just a human part of the game um, that's always been there. So I'd be I'd be happy to see it continue. Thank you. It's it's nice yeah. to hear two people agree with me there because I, 
Major League Baseball seems to not agree with us. Well, I think also, I mean, think about some of the arguments that happen in baseball. They're usually over balls and strikes. Some of those are the most electric arguments to ever happen on a baseball field. If you're arguing with an umpire who's using an electronic strike zone, where's the fun in that? They're never going to get it wrong. Yeah. And I read recently that they'll tailor it to hitter's heights. So Jose Altuve and Aaron Judge obviously won't have the same one. But it's it's just not as fun. My question this, this is... This is a would, fun game. Let's, let's have fun with it. Would, would pitchers finally get the belt call belt between belly button and belt? Because they don't get that right now in college or MLB. I suppose we'd have a definitive answer on it, if nothing else. But Because that's a strike, but no one calls it a strike. That's true. That's true. Um, it could be difficult for hitters to adjust because um, if if the strike zone really has been called um, that low for so long by umpires, then that would definitely have a difference with the with the robotic umpires. Yeah. And it's taken away another analytic thing, too. It is a study of the umpire strike zones. A, a lot of teams do that, you know, have their own umpire scouting reports. So and don't take away analytics. They're, they're not bad. It takes away from painting the black for a pitcher, too. Like, that's the best part of the plate for a pitcher because a call could go either way. With an electronic strike zone, it's only going one way. It's not for the pitcher. Well, I guess we'll have to tune into the low-A South, Southeast League to uh, – See if they get that call or not. How much I got to pay to watch those folks. games. <laughs> um, let's go with another I got a, subject here. I got a rule. I, well, one, one, I'm not sure why they're doing it. Uh, unless Josh has some analytics to back it up. The base. Is there really that many injuries at like first and second? and Well, second base isn't really because of that. But first and third base to where they need to make the base bigger? Uh, it's, it's possible. I, I think um, that definitely would help in terms of collisions and that kind of thing. Cause sometimes you see, uh, the first baseman and the batter, um, colliding with each other, um, on the path to, on the journey to first base, especially if, if it brings the first baseman off the bag, then, uh, he might be a little bit further away from the runner in that situation. Even if the throw is off, then, uh, it could possibly limit collisions. So let's, let's hope it does. Yeah, so it's like the closest now? closest stab MLB will ever take at the whole softball to first base things to avoid the collisions. Um, Don't become you know, soft. It's it's not really to avoid like the Bryce Harper slipping on the bag, like Josh said. It's it's to avoid those collisions, and I guess it'll be interesting to see if you know steals go up at all with that little couple inch difference. It's only uh, going from fifteen inch to eighteen inch, so it may not seem like a huge deal, but you know those inches are big it's it's a game of inches um wouldn't that make the distance between bases less than 90 feet i guess there's a ton of factors to go into it so i don't, I don't really like, know they're exactly gonna have to expand fields. Doing it. or they're gonna or they're gonna have to move like the foul ball well isn't the uh isn't the baseline from the center of the base like to the baseline does like the center of second base to the baseline Right, if yeah. so, then then they wouldn't have to adjust anything there. I think that's probably the case. I think the base path would just be a few inches shorter. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just all these things that have good intentions, I suppose, could I definitely interfere with strategy. I don't know. It, it'll be fun to watch it play out just to get a nice answer on it. Um, you know, normally the international leagues have been the 
or independent leagues, excuse me, have been the guinea pig for all this stuff. But now it's actually coming to the minors. Um, one I am against, and I went on a little spiel about this during the Sabre student uh, portion of their conference, is the pitch clock. Um, Sorry. It's, it's the one game without a clock. Let's keep it that way. It's, it's been an effect in college. Um, we were playing in Texas Tech last week, and all it did was seem to annoy that. everybody. <laughs> um, they got called for pitch clock at one point. Yeah, I, I just – Joe Madden had a great quote one time about, I love baseball, so the time of the game doesn't bother me. I just want to be at the field all day, and, and I feel that sentiment. Um, I just – I know that they mean well, once again, with the pitch clock and shaving a few minutes off, hoping that more people tune in. But at the end of the day, I think it's, it's just not necessary, and – there's other ways to try to limit it. Like they did with the mound visits. That's worked fine. It hasn't bothered too many people. Uh, what do you guys think about pitch clocks? So, I mean, I'm sorry about it, guys. I introduced it to the commissioner, but, um, oh, excuse that. Um, so I go back and forth on it because obviously it was an idea I had in seventh grade. But so I think if a pitcher really takes more than 20 seconds or 25 seconds, whatever it is, they're going too slow, but I also say it doesn't really shave that much time off of it because there's not many pitchers that are that slow. But for those that are, um, yeah, they they deserve to have a pitch clock. We're looking at you, Pedro Baez. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a huge fan of the pitch clock. I think it's just uh, one of the facets of the game that's that's been built into it since the beginning, um, being a a timeless game, if you will. Um, and uh, yeah, I think the pitcher should have as as much time as they need. I, I, I was a pitcher, so I guess I'm a little biased in that respect. But um, I think that's the art of the game and the mental battle between bet- between the pitcher and the hitter. Um, and just seeing that play out is uh, it can get really intense at times. So, so it's a lot of fun to watch. See, this is yeah. why we're friends. Josh just gets it. I mean, I was a pitcher too, but like, I just quick pitched everyone. Like, you're in the box, I'm pitching. It's, I think it's advantage pitcher if they go quicker. But well, if the more longer they wait, the more time the batter has to regroup. Well, every 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 pitcher is different, and every hitter is different. So pitcher pitchers yeah, more are time weird. to regroup, I mean, we all, but they also we all have know more that. time to overthink. P- pitchers are a weird species. We all know that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't know what the pitchers do during practice because they just aren't there. I'm sure, Hunter, you've experienced the same thing. We embrace the weirdness. We love that yeah. our pitchers are weird. Yeah, <laughs> but, like, hey, whatever works for you, I guess. That's the name of the game. Do what it takes to have your own success. I guess so. Whatever. So that's that's our little chat about the rule changes. Let's Let's move into one more segment here. Josh is an expert at Notre Dame, um, all things, any sport. He could probably tell you a ton about their rugby team if you wanted to know about it. So uh, the number 17 Notre Dame Irish just had an amazing weekend with a three-game sweep of Virginia. Um, you know, we've spent a lot of this season on this podcast talking about the big three of Andrew Abbott, Griff McGarry, and uh, Mike Vastel for Virginia, and they did real good against them. Uh, tagged Abbott for six on Friday. 
course McGarry yard after three and two thirds and Vassal only lasted an inning in the third. Um, and the bats showed up as well. Um, at Josh and I were watching a ton of those games. Anything that stood out to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I do my best to watch the games. I'm, uh, I'm much more well-versed in the football team, um, but I, I try to watch the baseball games as often as I can. Um, they are at tough times of the day, but you know, um, you got to make it happen when it's baseball. But um, yeah, uh, the bats were really super alive in that series against Virginia. And they really have been just since the beginning of the season. So um, that sweep over Virginia, we scored, I think, 10 plus runs in two of those games and eight in the last one. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun to watch. Um, and Nico Cavadas, um, our big slugger, I think he has five home runs through uh, through 10 games. Um, so he's been crushing it. Um, even last season, he had um, home runs in over half the games they played in their short 13-game season. But, yeah, he's, he's doing real well. And then uh, the pitching staff is really holding it down, just everyone, because um, the starters aren't going super deep yet, um, but the relief pitching is really – uh, really has a handle on things. Um, and in addition, on the hitting side, Jared Miller has, has been crushing the ball lately. He's hitting over 400, I believe. Um, and the top of their lineup uh, in Spencer Myers, he's struggling a little bit, but um, I'm sure he'll be able to pick it up um, in the in the rest of the season. So, yeah. It's um, deep, too. You were telling me about their depth. Uh, Brooks Ketsy, I hope I pronounced his name right there. Um, even him like down at the bottom he went yard on Friday um, so I mean that's that's a good team right there is when your pitching can hold its own and the bats the lineups that deep you're gonna find yourself scoring a ton of runs yeah absolutely the whole lineup is dangerous um, and I mean obviously the the top of our lineup is the better part of it but uh, that bottom that bottom of the order um, can can really get at you if you let them um so they can be they can do some damage you you just got to watch out you know yeah um i will say i hate notre dame football so sorry but i mean i just do but i like notre dame baseball one because they have probably they have one of the coolest jersey sets um those green ones they wore very 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 nice um the blue pinstripes obviously very nice and they're whites you know classics um but i mean hunter you predicted this was going to happen a while ago um when we were talking about bc's breakout we you pointed to notre dame saying how you know they started late because of covid but they're going to come on and boy have they come on strong i mean you can't really sweeping a team that was preseason number 16 in the country uh took two out of three from yukon who's i mean we've said is a good team just has had bad breaks uh it's great series great sweep yeah. Um, you know, and the rotation is great too with uh, John Michael Bertrand went seven, I believe on Saturday, uh, retired the last 10 he faced. Uh, Tommy Sheehan is the ace probably, um, you know, he started most of the Friday night games. I don't know why I said probably there. <laughs> so yeah, that's, it's a deep team and you know, you've seen why they've risen. Um, it's unfortunate that their first weekend had to get messed up there, but uh, I know they're in an, we're recording this show on uh, Friday evening and they're in a nice tussle with Duke going extra innings now. So that's going to be a fun series to watch this weekend as well. And just uh, 
the ACC, some amazing baseball coming out of there. For sure. Um, yeah, another team in the ACC who didn't have a great weekend. Um, BC and Virginia Tech, actually. Both of them, uh, they both dropped a lot, I think, right? If I'm not mistaken, they're 24, 25 now. But yeah, BC's still, so. still hanging on to that ranking. Well, Louisville's a great team, so them sweeping them. The sweep is a little bit of a surprise, but they flex their muscles. Another great uniform, those red Louisville jer- jerseys. Very good. Notre Dame just walked it off. I repeat, Notre Dame just walked it off. Oh, and this is the beauty of filming the show when there's games going on because we can have great things like that. Absolutely. Ryan Cole with a homer to left field, two-run homer to win it um in the 12th 13th inning so yeah it was a long one i'm excited after we finish recording to go on twitter and check out the highlight of the celebration afterwards because they have been on point in college this year and georgia tech's tied with wake top seven wake forest just went to the bullpen that's a good one too because wake's not ranked right and georgia tech is so Upset alert. Yeah. Um, so we can uh, we can start to get into a little more of this conversation on the top 25. Josh, you're welcome to stick around if you want to. If not, we understand. We know we all got busy schedules. So you do what you want to do here. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll stick around. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to contribute. So feel free right. to just go ahead. Sounds good. <laughs> We're happy to have preview you. To, preview to the episode. Um. um Arkansas staying at number one, not surprising. Uh, once again, we're going with the D1 baseball top 25 because they're the premier source um, of college baseball journalism, aside from Beyond the Diamond, of course. Um, yes. But yeah, Arkansas took the series against Louisiana Tech on Sunday, dropped their first game of the year. But hey, they're 12 and one. They've had an amazing run so far this season. So the Razorbacks still doing their thing. Uh, Colby, you are a resident Vanderbilt expert. So let's hear what you have okay. to say about them. Um, it was their toughest test yet. Um, they were taking on number 13 of Oklahoma state. They were number two coming in They're number two coming out. Of course they took two out of three. Um, not bad. Obviously if they had taken three out of three, they'd probably be number one right now, just based part, obviously biased opinion, but still, I think we can agree. They they're closing in on one. Like we said last week, um, rocker game one. I said it. I I said after Lighter's first start, I think he might be better. Well, Rocker just shut me up because uh, eight innings, nine Ks, uh, two hits, one walk, no runs. It's damn impressive. Uh, eight innings especially because I said, obviously, they were on pitch counts the first two weeks or whatever of the season. So now off the pitch count, going eight innings of two-hit ball, nine Ks. I mean, he's the number one prospect in baseball. I, I can't even deny it now, as much as I love Lighter. Rocker's you said better. on last week's show, I'd love to see him go deeper. Well, there you go. <laughs> deeper he went. My God. That was incredible. Again, like, we, like we've said all season, not like Lighter was bad by any means. Five innings, no runs, two hits, seven Ks. That's pretty damn good. But it's just this constant battle between these two guys of who's going to go number one. I still feel like it'll be one and two. Eileen Rocker, as you just said, but there's so much baseball to still be played. Um, 
but yeah, that that Saturday game was a great one as well. The only way the the only way light, lighter passes him in the next next week is if you know he throws a perfect game or no hitter tomorrow. But hey, it's possible. Who knows? Not out of the question. Um, speaking of lighter's game, uh, he didn't allow any runs. Um, but Oklahoma State did allow a lot of runs. Uh, Vandy had their highest offensive output of the season, eighteen runs. Um, Tate. Colwick had a grand slam to open up the scoring in the fourth. Pretty good way to open up the scoring. Isaiah Thomas, three-run shot in the fifth. And Troy Lenevi, uh, he had a three-run home run his, his sophomore year, first of his career. <laughs> That's three pretty good home runs. That scores 10 of their runs. They got eight more, uh, some RBI doubles, RBI singles, I think one triple. Pretty good offensive output for them. Yeah, I mean, they're a factory of prospects there. Isaiah Thomas is the linchpin in that lineup. How many good athletes do we have in the sports world named Isaiah Thomas, number one? Um, <laughs> number two, during their midweek games, they showcased some great young pitching, too. Um, pitching Ninja had that clip of, I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, but one of the lefties just broke out this amazing slider. Oh, I know um, what you're talking about. That was, that was unhittable. Yeah. I mean, they're they're just unreal. Um, and it's, it's been an awesome battle so far this season between them and the Razorbacks for the number one spot. We still feel like Vandy will get there, but Arkansas is doing a great job proving us wrong. And I can't wait to see what else happens over the course of this year. Um, and to add on to Vandy's arms, um, they just recruited two more guys. So who are like five stars and I think top 10 in their class draft class. So, or recruiting class, whatever. So they got three freshmen this year. They'll probably have two more next year, two more the year after. They're just a pitching factory. They're, they're not going away. What what started with, you know, Derek Johnson, who's now a great pitching coach in the major leagues, and David Price and Sonny Gray is now turning into Rocker later and the rest of the gang coming up. So that is it's a premier baseball school for a reason. And they got they got the ace on the best team in the MLB, Walker Bueller. Tight pants. How did I forget him? <laughs> yeah. Very tight pants. Walker Bueller will once again be battling both hitters and keeping circulation flowing through his legs this season. Hey, the 80s made a call. They want his pants back. <laughs> yeah. He'd fit in well there with the, uh, you know, the elastic waistband and the unis with no buttons and the V-necks. I love the V-necks. Speaking of great jerseys, any team that has a V-neck, a powder blue V-neck would be the end-all peel. Yeah, I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that one. <laughs> no, you, don't like v- you don't like V-neck? We got a V-neck at Fairfield. Not a V-neck. They got a guy. new one. Josh, you a V-neck guy? Uh, I don't really have an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> My last AAU jersey was a V-neck, though. Rocky's old uniform. Playing Switzerland, staying neutral here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so also in the top 25, um, 18 pin, pit. Sorry. Um. I mean, Hunter told us about this team. Um, they made their debut in the rankings at 18. Like I said, they knocked down Georgia Tech um, to 12, who's now playing now tied with Wake. So Georgia Tech's in a bit of a slump right now. Um, they took the series from them on the road. They swept Florida State, who all took two out of three from Virginia Tech. So that's not – a. I think their record's worse than what they are, Florida State. And sneaky good team, Indiana State. here at UConn. Florida, oh yeah, UConn and Florida State, brothers of just bad luck. 
Brothers of great teams whose records don't show it right now. Well, you jinxed your team. I blame it all on you. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> um, yeah, and they also took two out of three against Indiana State, who's a sneaky good ball club as well. Um, another notable, um, Texas was the biggest jumper of the week. They went up from they went up 210 from 19. Um, they went down to South Carolina and swept three games. Um, they had entered the weekend undefeated, and South Carolina fell to 16 in the process. Um, Oregon, another team I told you guys about a little while back. Um, they had that four-game sweep at UC Santa Barbara we talked about on last week's show. And then they followed that up with a really nice series win against uh, in-state rival Oregon State. Great baseball program. You know, they breed guys like Adley Rushman. Um, so they're, they're not jersey matchup, too. Great jersey matchup. Big on the jersey theme here. And um, Michigan, we had talked Big about the them media. a little bit, too. We were surprised not to see them in the rankings at all, but they are there now. They're at 22. The Wolverines took four straight against Purdue. They're now 7-1. and one. Um, Haven't played a ton of games this year, but not surprising to see them do well. They're rebounding from uh, the nice little beatdown UConn gave them in our series last year before the shutdown. Um, Michigan, also the defending champions. I'm sorry? No one, Michigan, the defending champions. No one talks about that. Yeah, I mean, they had that great run in the College World Series. Um, speaking of uh, wearing the wristbands, they have all the guys with uh, they do. the, the uh, wristbands on their belt loops. Um, that's interesting. We haven't seen too many teams pick up on that. But um, it was I a think- tough loss for them, too, with Chris Fetter going to the Tigers, their former pitching coach. Um, I believe he was one of the first ones to instill that strategy in them. So AJ Hinch already making that analytical impact with the Tigers by bringing a guy like him in um, some smart men over at Michigan. And uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to see their team doing what they're capable of. I wonder if we see the belt loop thing as it travels more through college baseball, because I know a lot of high school use it. I wonder if we see uh, MILB or MLB teams use it because it's definitely an interesting concept. Yeah, MLB will probably come out with a rule to uh, not allow that soon. Probably. Um, I know they, got that, have, they do have the back pocket uh, play sheet. So. They have the back pocket one. You know, that, that famous clip of Mookie waving the card after Joe Maurer hit that ball right at him in 2018. And, um, and you know, with MLB trying to enforce it, there was one of the guys that had looked inside his hat to see the matchup, and Joe S. came out and yelled at him about it. So uh, we already are seeing MLB trying to limit that a little bit, but the MLB sucks. Well, they did you see what they did to Trevor Bauer? Oh yeah, that was brutal. Like, I mean, obviously he's a polarizing guy, so you're one way or the other on him. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, all he had was a little logo on his belt loop, and it was like the end of the world. Yeah. Commissioner Manfred and Trevor Bauer will never be best friends. Um, they're, they're each trying to move the game forward in their own ways. Let's just say that. <laughs> we need to we need to market play, baseball players. Yeah, there's no reason not to. Efficiently. Bauer's an interesting cat, but one thing you can't say about him is that he doesn't have fun with the game. And that's, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Huh, I would know that. <laughs> <laughs> so in our, in our last little discussion here of the top 25 uh texas tech you know they had it right with us there's there's no two ways about it they they swept they swept my huskies and look they're a great team i'm not going to mince words about that they got a deep lineup i got to tip my cap um 
with those three straight home runs on Monday afternoon, Nate Rombach, Cal Conley, Braxton Fulford, that was impressive. Um, I can't say anything other than that. Conley had an unbelievable weekend. He went nine for 15. He was a big thorn in our side. He's hitting 394 this year. Word on the street was that uh, Brandon Birdsell was in the upper 90s. He started for them on Friday. Only gave up a run in six innings against a really good offense that we have. Their Royal Balance team, stingy lineup, meshes well with some eye-opening pitchers. And there's a reason they're number seven. So it, it wasn't, you know, on the stat sheet, a great weekend for us. But I'm going to talk about some positives we had. But, um, you know, it, it was a it was a tough situation. But so rather than, you know, I usually go through the nitty-gritty of every game. Let's just talk about some of those positives that I mentioned. Um, number one, we were in every game. We could have just as easily swept if a few plays went our way. Even in the Saturday game, we lost 10-3. to three. It was tight right to the end. We brought the tying run to third in the fifth, sixth, and seventh. And, uh, you know, their offense had a little outburst in the eighth inning. Um, in that Saturday game, Pat Gallagher, uh, Lemonster, Massachusetts native. Nobody can pronounce that right on the broadcast. They all say Leo Minster. But, um, yeah, for, for those of you college baseball announcers who might be listening to the show, please say that right. Um, he limited the damage, though, three scoreless innings. Uh, there were some nice pitching performances by guys. Uh, ben Kasparis did his thing on Friday. Even on a night where he wasn't like his complete dominant self, he still bowed through five, only gave up three, struck out eight, um, and had a really gutsy fifth inning after his pitch count was very high after four. Um, he's a special pitcher, and, you know, he originally coming from UNC where we have guys like uh, Austin Love now, and he's fit right in here at UConn. Um, another pitching performance that stood out, uh, Brennan O'Donnell, the freshman, he's another Massachusetts guy on our team, only one of a few, but uh, got some huge outs for us on Sunday. Might not have, you know, looked anything too special in the box score, but it was a big turning point for us. Um, and then on Monday, um, our pitching was was in a tough spot after we had to use some guys like Gallagher and Jimmy Wong out of relief. Um, Kenny House, one of our most reliable relievers, he was just Herculean in that game. Uh, had to start for us, despite normally being our setup guy. He went three and two-thirds, only gave up a run. Uh, Randy Polonia, who he's an amazing story. If anybody hasn't seen, he was in a pretty bad car crash during the summer. And the six-year senior, he came back, and he's doing fine now. He's been saying he's lucky to be alive. But he threw two and a third strong innings on his own. Um, another big thing this weekend was, um, aside from just the games being tight, Kyler Fedko wasn't really happy with the start he had had to the season. Um, he was picked to be the preseason Big East MVP, and, you know, that's a lot of pressure to try to live up to that. So, you know, it was it was up and down for him, but he worked his butt off during the week. I can certainly attest to that. Um, no one works harder on our team than him. Um, he went 12 for 19, five doubles, and you guys might have seen on Sports Center he was the number two play um, for Monday's games. I uh, robbed a home run. Um, so look for big things coming his way as he starts to heat up now. And then one more note on UConn today, we had a 6-4 to win at St. Joseph's. Ben Kasparius once again struck out 11. Christian Fedko had a bases clearing double. A few more hits for Kyler Fedko. Kenny House got out of a bases loaded jam in the 7th, I think it was. Um, and Caleb Worcester had a nice normal save opportunity after his 60-pitch efforts. And uh, Kieran Devaney threw a runner out. Uh, so there's my... There's my weekly rampage on UConn. Um, once again, the, the best 5-10 and 10 team I've ever seen. And as we get into our conference play, hopefully we heat up, um, take some games against your Villanova Wildcats. 
we saw no offense um no i'm i'm sure you will <laughs> um before i talk about uconn i just want to say rockers now struck out 54 percent of the batters he's faced tonight through five innings so that's pretty impressive um not bad no not bad at all um but on to UConn, um, I actually watched this weekend for the first, it's probably the first college baseball I've watched, admittedly. I've watched highlights, but like live game. Um, Fedco's insane. Um, Worcester, you told me why. I, watching the game, I was like, no, he shouldn't still be in. I don't care what you, what the analytics say. And then you told me that it was a bullpen day and they had to keep him in. Yeah, it so that, wasn't, wasn't really anything behind it other than just our pitching was toast at that point. They mentioned on the broadcast that Joe Simeone, a number two starter, mm-hmm. was warming up in the pen, of which that's, you know, a lot of our guys had thrown a lot of innings that weekend, so we needed outs. We hoped we could just squeeze a little more out of Caleb. He's the absolute man, but we've asked a lot out of him, so we're just going to have to forget about that one. Obviously, you know, it sucked for him to have to see those highlights going around social media, but he's a great pitcher, so he'll rebound. Uh, he already did with the save today, so... We all here at UConn have the utmost faith in him and no doubt that he'll be special for us this year. Just he was, you know, he had been ridden pretty hard and yeah. sometimes that'll happen in baseball. Yeah, no, it was tough. Um, is Reggie still two-way? Could they have used him? We haven't used him on the mound at all. He um, he is still ready to pitch, though. He just threw in practice this week. Looked really good. He can really get it up there. Um, I, bet, uh, I believe guy. he was like, the top first base prospect in the 2022 draft class right now. He's an unreal hitter. Most home runs on a team. I believe he has five right now. Um, Pretty good. And potentially as in the mound, if, if we use them, it'll probably just be for a little matchup here and there against a tough lefty. I believe we used him once or twice last year, um, but he's, he's a fun guy to watch. Yeah. Well, I was just wondering, cause maybe they could have thrown him in cause they have to give him warmups if he's in the game and he comes in. So. Yeah, there, there was a whole story. Um, if you listen to Coach Pender's post-game interview about how his contacts had gone missing and that was a whole big deal. So that's why you didn't see him in the lineup on Monday or Reggie. Sunday. Just, it, was, it was a whole weird scene over the weekend. Um, oh, Eric Stocks, oh, another one of our two ways. He made his season debut on the mound. Um, he can get it up there. He's definitely got some potential. Um, and he's a very good contact hitter as well. Um, you know, we all love those. So it's, it's a deep roster, and uh, on Tuesday, it is opening day for our beautiful brand-new Elliott Ballpark. So I could not be more thrilled for that 3 o'clock game against Central Connecticut. It's going to be exciting. Beautiful field. Can't wait to come visit it. Colby Fairfield's coming up, too. What, what you got on that? Yeah, so um, Fairfield baseball, opening day tomorrow, um, doubleheader. I have no idea which game's the 9 and which game's the 7 inning. I just know that we're playing nine and we're playing seven. I assume it's probably nine and then seven in case nine goes to uh, extra innings. That way we still have daylight because we don't have lights. We're not rich, you know, whatever. Well, we are rich, but not for baseball, I guess. Um, I think our probable starters are Jake Noviello, who's been on the show. I believe he's pitching the second game. And then Trey McLaughlin, who's a senior. He Last year, he was getting his fastball up in the 94 range right now he's sitting in the 91 so a little down because of COVID and everything um that should be good he's been pretty good in preseason I think he has the second best stats I believe um not too bad 
maybe four walks the entire preseason. Pretty good. Um, our lineup is centered around Justin Guerrero and Sean Cullen. Justin's a junior shortstop. He converted to shortstop this year, actually, which was weird to see. He led – he's the all-time hits leader for a freshman at Fairfield with 67 his freshman year. Didn't have a sophomore year. He's preseason all-MAC, so pretty big honors. And then Sean Cullen's a grad transfer from Union, so his first experience playing D1 baseball. He can hit a ball very far. Might have hit one oh four hundred about um, in BP last semester, so pretty good guy. Um, and then if you pitch around them, you get Charlie Paglarini, who's um, class of 2022 prospect, um, very good third baseman, had a bit of a slump last year. He's looking good right now in the preseason. He should be right up there. And then number six, I believe, is Matt Venuto, who's a friend of mine. Um, He's going to be DHing, I believe, the first game, catching the second game. Might be the other way around, him and Mike Caruso, who's a senior. Um, he's also – he can – he hit – our barn is over 400 feet from home plate, and it's kind of, it's like fair foul territory. He hit it last year. So, I mean, he his only home run in Fairfield history is a grand slam last year, so pretty good. Um, hey, if you're going to have one home run, might as well make it that, right? Yeah. Uh, who else do we have? Uh, Mike Caruso, who's our catcher. Uh, pretty, very good blocking catcher. Subpar arm, but he's getting it back up there. Um, should be good. Outfield he- headed by uh, fifth year Danny Ryan, center fielder. Might be the slowest out, not the slowest. He's not a fast guy. Somehow, not. I've never seen a single ball drop in left center, center, or right center. He catches all of them. He calls off the right fielder, left fielder all the time because he's somehow there. He's been in left field before. Don't know how, but he is. So he's batting second, I believe. Um, Great hitter. Danny doubles, we call him, Um, because you can't really hit it out in our park anyway. It's 420 dead center. It's not playable unless you're getting big guy up there. Um, And then, yeah, Jake, we know – He's grown up with baseball. Trey, also grown up with baseball. His dad owns a baseball facility in uh, Shelton, Connecticut, which is right outside Fairfield. Um, so he's baseball through and through. He reminds me of like a lot of the 80s pitchers. He's got like the tattoo on his left arm, down his arm, and then he's got the mustache and he wears the tight Walker Bueller pants. Just He just looks like a badass, badass dude. So <laughs> it should be fun. And then if we make it, if we win those two games, Sunday we have uh, John Signor and uh, Mike Sansone going. Uh, Siggy, we call him, will probably go the seven inning and Sansone will go the nine inning. Uh, Those are our four starters. Out of the pen, we got Nick Graybeck, who's roommates with Chris Paletta. He's our closer. Hopefully we get to use him. I know he wants me to take some pictures, so. Hopefully we get to have that happen. Uh, Josh Arnold, fifth year. He's uh, one of our setup guys. Eli Oliphant's our other setup guy. Those are our three top relievers. We also have freshman Colin McVay, uh, one of my buddies. He's personally, I think he's the best non like setup guy or closer we have. So I could see him coming out. If Trey only makes it six innings, he could come out in the seventh. I very well think so. We'll see. But those are our top arms. All right. That's an awesome preview. Um, 
I mean, you know the team better than anyone. So uh, it's good to hear. Should be a nice year for you guys. Plenty of talent. Um, and it's it's great to have the season get going. It's been a long time coming, seeing seeing our guys playing and having the waiting game for that uh, March 20th opening day. But it's beautiful that it's here. So it's going to be a fun weekend. Definitely. I'm excited. And it's going to be nice weather, too. That's refreshing. Um, before yeah. we get out of here, real quick, uh, we already talked about some of these weekend games ahead, but just some other notable ones. Um, in ranked matchups, Arkansas, the number one team, as we've talked about plenty, taking on Alabama. Um, Old Miss at four against Auburn. Um, 14 and seven, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech. We, I know plenty about Texas Tech after last weekend, so that'll be one to keep an eye on. Mississippi State, LSU in the three verse 19. Uh, Jaden Hill, I'm sure, will be getting the ball one of those games, so it'll be a nice test for him in what, aside from one start, has been a great season for him, which has been expected. Um, our Vandy boys against South Carolina, the 16th-ranked team right now. Texas A&M, Florida will be a great matchup as well. Um, any others that I might have missed? You mentioned Tech, Georgia Tech. Oh, yeah. Um, um, also, Florida well, State, Miami, like we had talked yeah. about. Uh, earlier. Georgia Tech, Wake Forest is up 4-2 at the bottom of the 7th for them, so that's tough. Um, Duke, Notre Dame, we just heard Duke, or Notre Dame walked it off on Duke. Duke's not a slouch either. They were ranked at some, uh, one point. Um, who else? Uh, Arizona Santa State, Barbara Oregon. looking to bounce back. UC, yeah, State. they need to bounce back bad, real bad. Um, Oregon State needs to bounce back too. Um UCLA taking on Arizona, who just got bounced from the rankings. They were at 25, I believe, last week. Um, so two teams that are looking to play a little better baseball. Texas Tech, Oklahoma State is probably hot team versus um, a team to just, you know, got their butts whooped against the Vanderbilt. So. <laughs> and Texas Tech has that 13-game win streak they got to keep alive. Yeah, I mean, like I said, they're they're a damn good team, so. I would not be surprised to see that, but you know, a tough opponent in Oklahoma state who's looking to prove something after that tough weekend. So, um, yeah, it's once again, we have no shortage of amazing baseball and it's just such an awesome time of the year. We'll talk more about next week's show, but MLB opening day, it's coming up. We are almost there down to like less than 10 spring training games for each team. So our first fantasy draft yesterday. Exciting yeah. times. Those are fun to get into. Uh, plenty more of that action coming over the next little bit. Um, Josh and I are always great opponents, and now Colby and I will be as well. Um, Josh got the best of me last year, but there's revenge coming. I don't, I don't know uses, about that one. <laughs> he uses the analytics to win. See, that's where yeah. it comes into play. That's that's where he's got the advantage on me, so I need to, I need yeah, to step up my game a little, little bit. We use our baseball knowledge, <laughs> after my, which only goes so far. <laughs> yeah. yeah last year was not the best it was it was a lot of rookies being picked up for me as uh some of my guys went down in the crazy yes. year that 2020 was yes was my mvp i think i traded with you josh right for yes yeah yeah you did yep verdugo for yes i mean that worked out for both of us yeah i mean like me more than uh, you yeah, my team uh, really made it through some tough times, especially with the Soroka injury at the beginning, um, a couple other injuries throughout the season. And then, yeah, I traded away Yaz, but, uh, I but was going to end up, up with him no matter what. 
<laughs> still still ended up beating hunter um although hunter like if he were any other um person playing fantasy baseball he wouldn't have even made it that far but because he is uh such an avid baseball fan he uh he really made it work with all those rookies playing the free agent market better than anyone but you know that can only take you so far <laughs> see i would have been there too if i didn't forget about the league for a month <laughs> yeah it was tough I decided to uh, go with my man JD Martinez very early on in the draft, and as we know, the uh, the lack of in-game video wasn't the best for him. Tough bid for him. He'll bounce back this year, but um, maybe not the best draft strategy by me when Jacob Degrom was on the board. But I think I might just draft all Giants. I think that's my. I think my that might be my draft plan. Just go full Giants. See how how it works. I see you. You go full Giants and I'll raise you uh, full Dodgers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not taking that bet. I'm no, not it stupid. Will, it'll be a lot of fun, and I, I can't wait to get going more on it. Um, yeah. So everybody else out there, I'm sure with all these drafts coming up, something else oh. to do aside from March Madness. ML spring training highlight. Um, Did you see the Pirates guy got hit in the nuts on strikeout? That was hilarious. That was tough. The Yankees are making Darren O'Day the Baltimore version of Darren O'Day again, who was quite scary. So, um, yeah, that slider was just turbo and an unfortunate result. <laughs> I mean, he just can't swim. I, I, I believe it actually hit him in the left thigh if you look at the video closely. Well, don't but... ruin it. Come on. <laughs> You're killing me. That's good. The man can still have children. Yeah, because he doesn't <laughs> wear a cup. He's not a catcher. Yeah, that, that was tough. But That's the one thing I've learned uh, managing a college team. It's not Little League anymore where everyone wears a cup. It's only the catchers. <laughs> An interesting factor. Because, I mean, I didn't wear one as a pitcher, but I, I wore one when I played like first base. Always wear your cups, kids. Just just play it safe. <laughs> so you can have kids. Exactly. <laughs> Birds and the bees would be on the diamond. Yeah, um, that's, that's something I did not expect us to ever get into, but there we go. Get a little bit of everything on this show, folks. We're very, we're very abstract. Hey, we, we cover baseball and everything else. That's why it's beyond the diamond. Yeah. Well, that speaking become, of beyond the diamond. Yeah, speaking of beyond the diamond, that's going to be it for this week's show, but we hope you guys enjoyed it. It was awesome having you here, Josh, um, offering your insight. Go check out those articles he's put on Fangraphs. They're super interesting. And uh, listen to the Nova Sports Analytics Club podcast. And if you're a student at Nova listening to this, go to those meetings because I'm sure they're amazing. So, Josh, thanks again for joining us. It was a fun show. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much for having me. It was, uh, it was a super fun time. I like analytics more now. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I guess we have to have them on every week now. <laughs> Still, um, still a little little not full but you know getting there hey it's a balance we got to appreciate it and appreciate the old school too and find a happy marriage between the two of them so it was a great show we'll have more college ball in store for you next week more talking about those opening day matchups with those great pitching marquees and once again if you guys have any questions or any feedback or whatever tweet us at beyond the diapod or DM us on Instagram at Beyond the Diamond Podcast. We will see you next week. And once again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you.